0: Hello, and welcome to uh, the Hoop Collective podcast. Um, We're convening this to discuss the tragic news of uh, Kobe Bryant's death on Sunday morning. Um, And to do that, I found, um, in my opinion, maybe the two best experts on Kobe's career. Um, First off, I'd like to welcome in J.A. Adande, who covered Kobe his whole career, his whole 20 years at, um, at the L.A. Times and then with ESPN, He's now the director of sports journalism at the Medill School at Northwestern University. Um, Jay, thank you so much for staking some time today. I know this is a tough day for you.
1: Thank you, Brian. Yeah, it's, it's strange. It's it's been a combination of both personal and professional, you know. And and Kobe and I had a professional relationship, but are um, you know the, it can't help but be personal. We spend so much time together too.
0: And also joining us. Um, from Philadelphia where he was at the Laker game last night and is, uh, you know, our Laker beat writer. But he, you know, J.A. covered the the first three-peat and then was there for Kobe's back-to-back titles. Dave McMenamin. Dave, how many years did you, how many seasons did you cover, Kobe? I know you covered him for both titles uh, with Gasol, that run.
2: Yeah, I was, I was six years on the ground in L.A., um, but... It's appropriate that I'm, you know, in the Philly suburbs right now because Kobe was on my radar when he was in high school and I was in grade school, uh, elementary school, middle school, uh, cause his high school was the rival high school of my high school. And so, uh, yeah, I felt like I watched the guy my whole life.
0: J.A. those, um, that three Pete that you covered, I've heard you tell stories about that. One of the special runs of the last, um, Thirty years in the NBA, and uh, Kobe was at the heart of it, and he became a st- he became a man and a star in front of our eyes. I mean, the reason he's as popular as he is now, the reason that there's this outpouring of support across the globe, um, is because of the star he became. I mean, what do you remember from those years where he basically, you know, took the reins and became one of the best players in the league?
1: that he foresaw all of it and planned it and and wanted it and was determined to make it happen, was not going to accept anything less. You know, you I don't think you ever heard him say, God, I can't believe all this is happening. You know, and, and this is because Le- LeBron kind of, a lot of times will get in awe shucks and like, you know, I can't believe it, it's, it's crazy. I, I don't recall Kobe saying things like that. Do you, Dave? You know, when, when he was at the top of the mountain, do you, do you recall him saying things like, you know, it's crazy that this happened to me. This, you know, this kid from, you know, from Philly or from Italy. Do you, do you remember him saying stuff like that? Cause I don't.
2: Nah, crazy wasn't his line. I, I think he yeah. sometimes felt a little, uh, uh demure. How are you going to respond to, you know, reporters or, or people asking you questions to put yourself on some sort of pedestal? And sometimes that was, you know, awkward for him. But no, nah, I, you know, Derek Fisher told me years ago that, this was all preordained in Kobe's head. Like Derek yeah. told him, uh, he had a conversation with Kobe as a rookie, and he laid out all his plans, what he was going to do,
1: and then he did it. it. They they came into the league together. Um, you know, Kobe obviously much more heralded um, went ahead of him in the draft, so they, they they shared that bond as well. And you know, when I think of early Kobe. Um, one of the, and it kind of shows you how, what a different era it was back then. But you'd see him leaving the Laker locker room after a game, and he'd have a VHS tape in his hand. Um, you know, a few years later, it'd be a DVD. But those early years at the forum, he'd, every game, he'd walk out of the locker room holding a VHS tape of, of, you know, opponents' game film to study. And that's how dedicated he was to his craft. Um, you know, he's, it might have helped that he was young and couldn't really be out and about on the town. I, I do remember seeing him at the the Shark Bar one time in L.A. on La Cienega. Um, but, you know, after the game, it was more work, you know, and time to work on his craft some more. And so he'd be headed home to, to study tape. And, you know, none of what he accomplished over the next 20 years was by accident.
0: He was also just so unrelenting. I mean, Dave, you were there when he basically was so, I don't know if the word was f- angry at the Lakers or disappointed at the Lakers that they hadn't improved the team, that he, you know basically asked for a trade out and and obviously he'd <laughs> rather I mean, play oh, on Pluto. <laughs> yeah, um and uh like you know he was you know he was unrelenting with everybody but the 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 amazing thing about it is that while he was unrelenting, and my God what he did to poor Smush Parker, it's legendary <laughs> Um, in those years where, you know, sort of the gap years between Shaq and Gasol, um, people loved him for it. And the fans loved him for it. Um, the, it seems like the, the the tougher love that he gave, the more people responded to him. It, the whole Kobe system that he and the Mamba mentality that he pioneered, I think that'll be as long as lasting as anything, as, as any record that he has.
2: Yeah, think of those moments that we have. There's the... Uh, Smush Parker, Chucky Atkins, Chris Mim becoming a punchline for him for years to come and everyone being okay with it. Uh, there's the <laughs> softest charm in practice where he's just cold, totally dressing down his teammates while the media is in the practice facility, uh, basically saying none of them can guard him and what's the point of him in practicing against these guys. There was the time where uh, Jeremy Lin uh, didn't hear a call uh, for a foul from the bench from Byron Scott and Kobe sprints up and pushes Jeremy out of the way and, and fouls the guy himself with a disgusted look on his face. Uh, there was, uh, you know, some of the antics later in his career by Nick Young and company and Kobe going on Jimmy Kimmel and asked about it and gave a look like, I can't believe these are the guys I had to go to work with. And, Oh, certainly some people you know saw that. Is, as, as,
1: is, what, what's another one? you go up this, that when, when uh, Ron Artest made the big three-pointer against the Celtics in Game 7, if you close in, if you look at Kobe's face and the, there's a sequence somewhere where, where you can kind of, or maybe I just freeze-framed it, but, like, there, there's an angle that shows Kobe's face, and it's the classic, no, oh, but but it's not just like, no, no, yes, it's like this painful wince. Like, what are you doing? And then the shot goes in and there's big relief. So even even in, you know, one of his, arguably his greatest triumph, there's still that same disdain that you were talking about.
2: Yeah, he was a taskmaster, but because he owned it and it seemed authentic and it wasn't like he was trying to do it for a reason of putting on airs, it was just letting yourself hang out there. The same way like Larry David is embraced for the same type of (laughs) acerbic side, Kobe had that too when it came to basketball and oh my did it lead to a illustrious career
0: Dave do you remember the night in Miami um, uh, you know the, the lake You know when, when LeBron got to Miami like Kobe saw it as a personal challenge because they were the two-time defending champs and I was like okay make your little team over there we're still gonna beat you Um and the, the the Lakers came into Miami, and it was it was just it was middle of a long road trip, and whatever the the Heat had the rest advantage, and I don't remember what he shot, but he had a bad game, and, and the Heat won. And we're you know we go to the locker rooms and everything, and then we I think we I think you even did the interview like the, the post game interview with Kobe, and then we're in the press room working. The game's over at least an hour, and then we hear Kobe's in the ball shooting. Now now that happens every now and then now like James Harden just did it, but like that was unheard of back then. Kobe at somebody else's court went and took the court back and just shot for like half hour. I mean that was I'll never forget that night. It's
2: actually become somewhat routine, which is incredible because it I had covered the league for a while up to that point, seven or eight years. I'd never seen it before. We in the Lakers press corps grabbed our laptops and went and wrote our post game stories back in the bowl because we and then he gave a second just pr- press big. conference right <laughs> <laughs> yeah which was longer than the first one yeah and now you see Kyrie Irving does it with somewhat regularity Dwight Howard I've seen do it several times this year Quinn Cook um you mentioned Chase Harden I know there's other players around the league that do it um small very small minuscule part of his legacy but
1: something that he did before any other guy you know, Dave, and and it was very affected, right? Like he could have gone. Miami has a practice court in the arena. He could have gone up to the practice court and shot, right, <laughs> yeah. and, and out of the public size. and and it was also very affected in the playoffs. You know, especially the twenty ten playoffs, he'd go into what he called grouch mode, right, and he'd have that scowl on the fa- on his face on the court, and he would uh, give very curt, brusque inter- responses in the interviews. But you know, and it, it was all very put on and very affected, but. If that's what it took for him to, you know, reach that state and put himself in that mindset that he felt he needed to get into to compete for championships, then I was okay with it, you know, and, and just kind of have fun with it, right? Yeah, but Jay, you were
2: at—I think Brian sorry to commandeer because I just got to ask you about this, <laughs> maybe one of the most underrated clutch games of Kobe's career that game in Portland at the end of the regular season.
1: Yes. There's a couple angles where you can see my jaw literally drop um, (laughs) as as he makes these two two shots. Um, So that was the end of the 2004 season when uh, the Lakers, it it was crazy, like, because they they could have, you know, won the division, they could have finished six, there were all these different seeding possibilities in place, right, Uh, between them and Sacramento. Um, And they... They're down three. He makes this crazy three pointer against the Kobe stopper, Ruben Patterson, at the end of regulation. And then he makes this other crazy three, uh, you know, with no time left to to win it in overtime and runs off the court. And big hug and high five from Shaq. And, um, uh, never forget Frank Hamlin, the Lakers assistant coach. Uh, you know, he just looked at him and says, You mother bleeper. (laughs) You know, and just, um, and it was just a classic Kobe, um, you know, kind of all hope had been lost. They were going to lose this game, right? And they they were going to have to start the playoffs on the road, Houston maybe or someplace. And uh, he makes this shot and gives him a chance. And then when all hope seems lost again in overtime, he makes this other crazy shot. And like I said, my jaw just dropped. Um, it, it was two incredible shots. And, and just to finish to that tumultuous regular season, um You know, the one in which he'd been going back and forth to Colorado for the pretrial hearings for the sexual assault charge. Like, all that stuff that was going on that season, that's how he capped it off. And, um, yeah, as clutch. And, and Brian, you might have been there for the one he made against Miami, that that crazy leaning angle, right? He banked it home, three-pointer. You remember that game?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I also remember the game in the finals. I mean, you know, they lost the finals to Detroit 4-1. Mm-hmm. But he hit one of the greatest shots in his career in that series. People, people sort of forget that shot because it, it's, it avoided a sweep, but it, it saved, it kept the Lakers in the series. It was almost 2-0 and he hits that huge shot at the end of game two to send them back to Detroit 1-1. Um, you know, that's an all-time shot in the finals. Again, it, it's unfairly forgotten because of the way games three, four, and five went. But, um, that was an iconic shot. And, you know, he, he had, you know, So many, you know, by the time LeBron became a, you know, a marquee attraction by his second year, I mean, every time LeBron and Kobe played, it was the event of, you know, it was like they played on Christmas and they played on on Martin Luther King Day or they played on Christmas or they played, you know, very marquee event. I mean, I spent, I think, three or four Christmases in LA because it was like, uh LeBron plays Kobe on Christmas Day um, and those the, the pageantry of those games and I've said this many times um and I, it's just unbelievable. I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday' cause, you know LeBron was passing him scoring wise um, you know they they played in every single finals from two thousand seven through two thousand eighteen. eleven straight finals, one of the two of them were in, and they never met and the game was worse for it. It was, a, it, was a, it was a historic near miss.
1: Really, if you think about it, it's the only combination that we didn't get of the possible, you know, star versus stars, east versus west. Um, you know, it's really the only one that we didn't get. And, you know, Brian, you mentioned what a big event it was even when they met in the regular season. But remember, even especially early on, they they didn't live up to the hype and Kobe would get hurt or miss the game. Like, I remember he, his, yeah. his rookie year. He's- Kobe he hurt, hurt his shoulder. Hurt,
0: like his, his right. Yeah, he, he got hurt. He hurt he got hurt in that game. Like in the first quarter yeah. or something.
1: Yeah, and his right shoulder's hanging off and he he hoisted a couple left handed jumpers first before he kinda of comes finally came out of the and, game and, for good. Yeah,
0: I think I think either the second or third year, Kobe sprained his ankle in the game. I think there were two of the first three yeah. times they played, Kobe got hurt in the game.
1: I'll tell a story now. Um now, now that he has passed away, I'll I'll break the confidence. Um so remember we talked about Brian, you might've gotten the quote where LeBron had a quote where he said, he just doesn't have that instinct to go out and, and kill everybody like Kobe does. you Remember that Brian? I, I, I think it was, it was something your quote
0: along those lines. I don't know if that was the exact quote, but he, he sort of expressed some, some, I, I, I'm not, I don't know how he said it, but it was something along those lines.
1: Yeah. Like I don't have that same desire to just go out and, and annihilate everybody like Kobe does. And I, I asked Kobe about it. I said, "Did you see that quote from LeBron?" and and Kobe said, "Yeah." And he said, "I can't believe he would actually say that out loud." Um, Kobe was just stunned that, you know, like I think he understood that, you know, maybe not everybody thought the same way he did, um, but he just couldn't believe that he would say that out loud and say it on the record. So about a week after that, and Kobe and I had that little discussion. uh, The Lakers played the Cavs, and it was certainly in the midst of the whole LeBron's not clutch debate, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that was raging pretty high, obviously pre championships. Um, and, uh, I think LeBron misses two free throws. If something happens at the end, you know, Le- LeBron has a chance and, and does not come through in the clutch. And, uh, walking out of the locker room with Kobe, I said, Hey, Kobe, remember that conversation we had about LeBron last week? And he said, Yeah. I said, do you think that came into play tonight? He said, yeah. (laughs) So, you know, that was a little sense of the rivalry. You know, I think they came to appreciate each other. And I think, you know, I think Kobe saw LeBron go through it and work his way and suffer the pain and, and, you know, make that slow climb to the mountaintop. And I I think Kobe came to appreciate that as well. And I think LeBron appreciated Kobe um, in particular when they were in Beijing together on the – on the Olympic team. And Brian, you covered that team, right? Uh, you no, know, that team really that. relied on Kobe in crunch time. Right. And uh, you know, yeah, for I all mean, the greatness, he wasn't the best player yeah. on that team, but he was the guy they went to in the gold medal game when they had to against Spain.
0: Yeah. I think LeBron probably had the better tournament, but Kobe absolutely brought home the gold with that fourth quarter. And I you know, I don't, I don't think they were particularly close at all. I think they kept a the distance. I think it was competitive, not just in basketball, but what I remember is, um, you know when LeBron came out of high school, he gets this hundred million dollar shoe contract, and Kobe had done had done this contract with Adidas, where he you know he did it right coming out of high school and it was good money at the time. It was a seven figure a year contract for like the thirteenth pick or whatever, um, but it turned out to not be a very good contract uh, because he was getting underpaid, and so he actually bought his way out of the contract with Adidas with like his own money, paid them back money. So he'd become a shoe free agent and he was a three time champion. Um, and you know, pretty much at the top of, of the, of the game at that point, Jordan had retired and he got 40 million in his shoe deal. LeBron got 60 million dollars more than Kobe <laughs> wow. when he switched over from Adidas to Nike. And you know, I think there was a, a rivalry with that. You know, one of the things people always remember those puppet commercials that they did um, where the, the two puppets would portray Kobe and LeBron. And even when those were running, I thought, isn't it amazing that they have these two guys under contract, they're paying them tens of millions of dollars, but they're not actually putting them in, in commercials together. <laughs> um, I don't think they really <laughs> wanted to be like playing opposite each other in commercials. So, I mean, the, the puppets, they could sort of make them say whatever they wanted and they could, Right. Act as sort of a caricature, so they didn't. It didn't. It was, you know, and they both had sort of equal time where they showed up. The other one, but good luck, you know, getting Kobe to agree to a scene where LeBron showed him up on anything, was scripted or not. And so I do think that there was a distance between them. You know, they only played together twice a year, and and they never played each other in the in the playoffs or whatever. And I do think after, and it wasn't just in two thousand eight. They, they they played together on three different Olympic teams. I'm sorry, two different Olympic teams and mm-hmm. one. Uh, uh, team. I think they they didn't Kobe play on the 2007 team to qualify for the Olympics? I think he sort of had to come in. At, definitely
1: in the 2012. What I thought was interesting yeah. in 2012, the London Olympics, was by then, Kobe realized that, you know, LeBron and Durant had kind of passed him by in terms of, you know, their abilities in the game. And he took it upon himself to be the spokesman for that team. Remember there were stories about, like, you know, could this team beat the Dream Team? And, you know, of course, Michael Jordan you know, Really dismissed all that, and but Kobe would go back and Michael Jordan, and I remember one of their their games in uh, their tune-up games in Las Vegas. You know, I I asked Kobe about that, and and he was the spokesman, and he was you know saying we would beat them, and he said I'm going to sure we'd win a series, but like we get a game off them for sure. We could beat put us put us on there, you know, for 40 minutes or 48 minutes, and we can beat those guys. And um, I said, Kobe, oh, you're kind of unafraid. And he says Michael knows I'm a bad. M effort, you know. So he <laughs> I, it, that was it, that was like the beginning of his, his his adjustment into the role that I loved in his latter years, you know. So after he was really no longer contending for championships, but actually enjoyed that version of Kobe the best in terms of talking to him because you know he had great perspective. He was very outspoken, was very available, readily available to talk to, and could just share everything from going against. Michael, the going against LeBron, to, you know, the historical perspective, the league, all that, you know, and, and that's the version that you had for most of your time in LA, Dave, was, was the, the best version of Kobe, especially those last few years.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, let's get back to the 2008 Olympics. That was so important for Kobe Bryant in my estimation. Uh, it gave him a connection to the rest of the league that he they didn't have before. It let him, have the taste of winning um that he had lacked um for for years you know the 2004 finals ends up being the thing that breaks up the kobe shack team he gets back there in 2008 gets embarrassed in boston Guarded to end that series um but you know he goes to beijing USA basketball reasserts its dominance. Kobe Bryant reasserts his, his persona as a winner. And I think is reminded that it's really worth to devote yourself totally to this, this craft, this child sport that the way you have been, you got a little bit of a payoff. And I, I think that fueled the better teammate side of Kobe that we saw on the kobe Powell years when he got two more rings and you know that was so important um yeah i I think to you know kobe in just the the little moments we would have covering him on a day-to-day basis and you know it, it it was it was always a challenge uh you know i i became the face of ESPN's NBA rank. And, you know, I, I've said this before. I, I was never really a huge fan of, of that project to begin with because it's an aggregation of a lot of different people's rankings, right? And we only rank a certain amount of players, whatever. But, you know, Kobe at one point was ranked 25th and, you know, he was still in his mind, Kobe Bryant. And he rode me <laughs> in, in public settings for it because I'm the ESPN guy coming around and my website saying he's only the 25th best player on the planet and how could that be possible uh and i i love that stuff um you know it it meant that he cared it meant that he understood our jobs uh it meant that he paid attention to everything um you know someone who sweats the small stuff someone who does that Me, myself personally i see no problem with it if it works for kobe bryant it can work for other people as well and um i don't know man it, it's we shouldn't be talking about him uh in the past it's it's it it
0: doesn't feel right actually to put it in past tense um
1: it's funny because i've thought about you know recapping him but just in terms of you know as we look back on his career not as we look back on his life right um you know i think we all have these these memories and anecdotes but you know we thought we'd been uncorking them as you know for for moments like this weekend Dave, when when lebron is, is passing him and That's one of the things that just makes it extra tragic is that this weekend he had been as relevant, you know, since he'd been retired, right? He was Mm -hmm. on everybody's minds more so than he had been in a long time just because LeBron was passing him. LeBron really gave that eloquent post-game description of what Kobe meant to him. It was almost
0: like, uh, looking at it now, it's almost like a... He was, I mean, eulogy, this, right? it sounds terrible. It sounds like, it, it, if you go back and watch it and it's all out there available on Twitter and on ESPN, it's like a eulogy. He goes on for four yeah. or five minutes, Dave. I'm sure you yeah. were there.
2: Oh, it was the soliloquy and it was eloquent and it was heartfelt and it was all encompassing and it was reverent. And it came, and this is, I mean, that was there was already, you know, forces in the world conspiring to have that happen in Philadelphia. You know, I think that added to the Philadelphia beat core uh, and media core really, you know, wanting to give the moment some more heft because, you know, Kobe, uh, you know, I know there are some Philly fans who never quite embraced him, but he's still a Philly guy. So you had that going on. But then the thing to me that is just, it's so eerie and I just can't quite get over it is, you know, we started this road trip, uh, we started in Houston, but the second game of the five game road trip that the Lakers just completed in the game that LeBron passed Kobe in, it was Martin Luther King Day in Boston, and we were covering this, did he or didn't he take a helicopter, LeBron James, take a helicopter to his son's game in Springfield, Massachusetts. And, like, when, when I thought about that today, like, it almost floored me. I'm like, you know, that's, That's just, that's a little too much. It's too much to comprehend.
0: Yeah. um, LeBron really, over the last few years, his closeness with Kobe really, really blossomed. And maybe it's because they weren't competing anymore. Um, But Dave, I, I think I remember this correctly. I mean, your memory of this stuff is so much better than mine. But I think when he got down 3 1 to the Warriors, I think he consulted Kobe. Didn't he reach out to Kobe and say, didn't he like, you know, weren't they in contact? Hmm. You know, I'm sure when he was down in other I, series.
2: Yeah, I, I, that one doesn't ring a, ring a bell, Brian, um, but it doesn't mean, I mean, you know, you know the stuff, your recall is impeccable. Um, one thing I do know is that that season, the 15-16 season was Kobe's last season. And obviously it was capped at the end of it by LeBron, you know, beating the Warriors in game seven. Well, that season, you know, Cavs are in the East Coast time zone, uh, you know, Kobe's out West, and LeBron would try to rush out of the locker room uh, along with Damon Jones, and they'd go to his his place to watch the Laker games, because he knew it was the last time he was going to get to watch Kobe. And they did that, I don't know, after a, a good 15 or 20 home games that season. Uh, that, that was yeah. his ritual.
0: One thing about that that I'll never forget is, um, you know, we we knew that Kobe was immensely popular, but um, when Kobe announced his retirement, and I think it was in November of that year or December, I don't think he intended to announce it that early, but he was just having a rough, you could tell he was struggling um, physically. And he started going on the road and the crowds and the, you know, the games would end and the players from their team would all just sort of be drawn to him like a magnet. You know, players that he, you know, a year prior would probably MF, say, that guy's no good, blah, blah, blah. So, and I, I was blown away. I think it was his first or second road game after he announced that he was going to retire. I was in Washington. I went to the game. And the Washington family, I mean, he has no connection to Washington. I, mean, I guess it's somewhat close to Philly, but he doesn't have a connection to Washington, really the fans outpouring there was like he had been a, a conquering hero of the wizards franchise and the players reacting to him and then stop after stop after stop player after player, because all these players had grown up with Kobe in the league. They didn't know an NBA without Kobe. And that was amazing. And, and in a lot of ways where Kobe was able to let his guard down, you know, the Lakers were obviously were going nowhere that season. They were trying to keep their draft pick in the top three or top five or whatever. Um, he could let his guard down and just enjoy the moment. And that was where I recognized, wow, Kobe's popularity is even grander than I thought. And then this last summer I was in China um, where he is the most popular American basketball player by a factor. Um, and he came over for the championship weekend um, and the way the crowd reacted to him. And then he he had a press conference afterward and he took a couple of questions about the Lakers and about Team USA and all that stuff and then he just went one by one different journalists from each country you know Poland Croatia Greece you know France like they all ask questions about their team and Kobe very you know eloquently would say oh yes you know I'm really excited about their young guard so-and-so and I'm really excited about that young big man they have and Boy, isn't it tremendous to see Louis – I mean he was just – he truly was like the ambassador of the entire game on the entire world stage holding court with everybody sitting basically at his knee waiting to hear from him. And even that, even though I knew how immensely popular he was in China, even that put him in a different light. And uh, that's why I really think that over the next few days when China becomes aware of this, when the Philippines, which is where he was immensely popular as well – And we see the outpouring of support across the country, across the world. I think we're going to be stunned at just how far of a reach he had.
1: Ryan, I I want to get back to something you said about him letting his guard down. And then we, we can get back to his global popularity for sure. But, um, it's interesting. I don't know which was the chicken and the egg, but, you know, he did let people in more in part because, and, and he was more warmly received that last year. And he also, uh, Gave us these moments that we wouldn't have had prior to his career. I'm thinking of two specifically. One, there's a clip where Dirk Nowitzki hits like a three in the corner right in front of the Laker bench, and Kobe's in street clothes, and he just gives Dirk like a kind of pat in the back and a nod, like, you know, good shot. And it's right in front of him. And um, there's another where he's on the court against Kevin Durant, and like Durant blocks his shot, and Kobe gets it back and just kind of lines up against him and kind of smiles, like, okay, you got me. You know, and then they try to go at it again. And just, there's no way he would have smiled at a guy that just blocked his shot before. You know, there's no way he would adapt Dirk in the middle of a game, you know, the close game that Dirk just hits a big shot against him. And I actually asked him about that in, in a TV interview not too long afterward. And, and I said, is that, is that different? Are you allowed to enjoy? He said, no, I, I always kind of enjoyed those moments. I always enjoyed that the competition and the great players they we were going against. But I just, I couldn't let them see, right? Like, he couldn't allow them. To see any moment of weakness or appreciation while he was competing against them, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And Dave, and he I mean, had we're, good we're, shoes, right? You love his shoes. <laughs>
1: <He had>
0: great,
2: <laughs> shoes. He had great shoes, great uh, yeah, shoes. I think his brand uh, stands the test of time uh, with both Nike and Adidas. But the funny thing is, you know, he became a full-on brand loyalist of Nike, and Adidas re-released his early models and they dubbed them the, the crazy eights uh which is obviously making a reference to the jersey war and maybe taking a dig at him at the same time and he used to uh ride several of his lakers teammates for wearing them he's like you're wearing my shoes i don't get any money off of that wesley, jo- uh, wesley johnson wore them i remember him uh being like come on you can't do that um yeah lebron but had he, a great he,
0: anecdote uh that he told you guys in Philly about and I remember this when LeBron he played in uh, New Jersey and uh against Carmelo actually. And he went over and saw I uh, went over to All Star Weekend in Philadelphia and saw Kobe and Kobe gave him a pair of his signature shoes from like two thousand one. I remember they were very boxy in my head. I remember these oh, yeah. red, white and blue yeah, Kobe you signatures. <laughs> and he said I'd never I had never heard all the LeBron stories I've ever heard, I had never heard the story before, Dave. That you know, Kobe wears fourteen and LeBron wears fifteen. And yeah, I never heard had of the size
2: f- part before. That was true. That was amazing new, new for me too. Yeah. And by the way, and that I was a really
0: him. important that was a really important game against Melo. Uh, <laughs> like they're number one team in the country. And so LeBron so badly wanted to wear Kobe's special shoes, these red, white, and blue shoes that he had for All Star Weekend, that he wore a size too small. Squeeze he, his, you, he, he, you
2: look good, you play good, man. That's all that matters. <laughs> Uh, the crazy uh, and so, LeBron, and, and like
0: 30. The he did have, like, 37.
2: Okay. Was in high school. Uh, I believe that. I, I, you know, I asked him after a, a playoff game. It was an early-round playoff game in the uh, either the 2009 or the 2010 run. And uh, I think it was 2010. And Kobe basically mauled Shannon Brown on the court after Shannon made uh, a couple nice plays. And you know, I wanted to have some fun with him in the post-game presser, and I just said, like, that's a lot of aggression you were putting out on him there. Like, uh, you know, that's just a way you show your excitement. And again, as I mentioned earlier in the pod, we, we grew up in the same place. He's like, Dave, come on, man. This isn't is Central League basketball anymore. <laughs> uh, which was our high school league. And then afterwards we're walking out of the press conference and I was like, Obi, come on, you really, you messed him up. And he's like, oh, you messed him up like this. And he throws me a forearm arm shiver and I went clear across the hallway. <laughs>
0: yeah well it was a, it's been a very hard day um, I think I think we're I really think we're going to be in for a, a, a stunning next few days here to just see how this affects people after the shock wears off and the people's start to talk about the reactions and um, you know he this is going to end up being a, a uh, his legacy in a strange way, his legacy may now expand even greater than it already was because of this tragedy. So
1: I've um, been thinking about that in terms of great artists, right? You know, the, the artists that leave earlier Prince or Michael Jackson and, and the ones who we never have a chance to see decline and, you know, become old and frail and shadows of their former selves. Um, You know, it, it, it does secure their legacy. And obviously, you know, it's not as if Kobe Still had games left to play, um, and I, I think it's going to be weird because he still was so on our mind. Still was tweeting last night. Like I said, he was he was so um, prominent this last week in in the NBA landscape, and we heard from him. We saw TV interviews with him, saw his tweets. Uh, I, I think it's really helpful for LeBron going forward that Kobe gave him his blessing on, on passing him on the all time scoring list, and you know said there shouldn't be a competition. He's a Laker um i I think that's really really going to be helpful as lebron continues to seek his place in laker fandom and and, you know when it comes time to assess where he is uh among the laker great it is an interesting tidbit that the four highest scorers in nba history all were wearing laker jerseys when they when they um set their marks, you know, scored their final points. You know, we definitely don't think of Carl Malone as a Laker. We, obviously, we think of him in Utah, but he was with the Lakers when he scored his final points. Kareem, you know, it's about half and half. Um, you know, more so Milwaukee, or more so the Lakers than Milwaukee, but still won most of his MVPs in Milwaukee. And, um, you know, LeBron just got here. But Kobe was the one guy that wore the Laker jersey continuously for each and every one of those points that he scored. So he was the most... Laker of those four guys who wore the Laker jersey, um, you know, but I, I just think it's going to be really helpful for LeBron that, that Kobe signed off on him and gave him his blessing, you know, and what were some of his final words and certainly his final tweet, right?
0: Yeah. He just said, uh continue to move the game forward. And so it's, it's not a, you know, it's, it's not like a torch passing, but um, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, LeBron now feels a legacy wearing the Lakers jersey. I know it sounds cheesy, but I mean, I know how he thinks and I think he'll feel that to a certain extent. That doesn't mean he's going to win more games, but I do think that, um, this is, this, this season is now going to be remembered this way. And, um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes, Dave. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was at the David Stern Memorial earlier this week and, and that was, uh, wow, it makes you reflect on, on a lot uh, type of moment. And, and now we have this, and it makes me wonder, you know, how his presence will be felt at All-Star Weekend. It make me wonder how his presence will be felt at the NBA Finals. I mean, I, I, every year when I remember when I cover the finals. You know, the they, Olympics? On the back of our Olympics, um, the Hall of Fame ceremony. He was supposed to go in this year. Um, oh, my you know, God, the NBA that's going to be amazing. They, they, uh, they print kind of the in-memoriam on the back of the finals credential. Uh, And you look back, um, and man, to turn that thing around this year, you have David Stern, uh, Kobe Bryant, um, Fred McLeod. It's it's been too much.
1: You know, the shock factor is, to me, is comparable to, you know, when we found out that Magic Johnson had HIV. And the, the difference is, at the time, we thought he was about to die and, um, you know, here it is. We're coming up on 30 years later and he's still here. And the fact that there's a picture of magic, Jerry bus and and David Stern. And even though magic was the youngest one in that picture, you know, we wouldn't have thought on November 7th, 1991, that he was going to be the last one standing among those three. And then to think that he's still with us and Kobe Bryant, isn't Kobe who was born in 1978, the year uh, before Magic was drafted in the league, um, that Kobe's no longer with us and and Magic's still here. I've been thinking of those two. You know, it's kind of hard to separate them when you're thinking about great Lakers and the history of that franchise. Um, But now they're kind of linked in this tragic way and just, you know, two of the most stunning updates or news stories that we've had about athletes, Kobe Bryant and Magic Johnson and... It's just amazing that Kobe's was even more tragic than magic that could possibly surpass that, that he's, he's gone at age 41. It's difficult to process all of that.
0: Yeah. Well, J.A. and Dave, thank you so much for spending a little time on this tough day. Thank you uh, for listening. Obviously, I don't even know what's happening in the NBA. Um, We're supposed to talk about Zion tonight and that, um, doesn't even matter now. So uh, I guess we'll talk to you later this week. Um, for all of you uh, who treasured Kobe, my condolences, and to you and to Dave, to you and J. A. Because I know you're close to him as well. Uh, thanks for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast.